following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. The, the second thing is, when, uh, when Dave brings up these classes that we're offering to you, one of the things I want you to be just really aware of, we take strongly... The, the command from the Lord that the pastors and elders are to equip their people for works of ministry. We cannot do that um, just by mere Sundays alone. So all the classes that are being offered to you are really for your benefit, uh, to help you grow in your faith, to be able to represent Christ really well in this world, and you can share the gospel with your friends, neighbors, coworkers, and family members, all those things, so that we can be representatives of Christ, right? And we can do this work in the body together. The other thing I want you to be freshly aware of is how many other people are teaching classes. That is a unique evidence of God's grace in our church with the amount of people that are teaching. Um, and it, just does, it doesn't just come from me on a Sunday morning, but it comes from a lot of us. All right, so let's be aware of that as we open our Bibles this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, go ahead and open your Bibles there with me. <clears throat> We're going to continue our, our series through Advent, and this is our second week, and as you see, we've lit our second candle, um, so today we're going to focus on, on the theme of peace, and it's interesting, you know, peace is something that every one of us long for, but we all have a hard time defining you know, there's some who think that peace is just quiet solitude. <clears throat> if I could just get alone with my thoughts, nobody around me, I would be fine. But I don't know about you, when I'm left with a, alone with my thoughts, things are awfully chaotic, right? And if anybody heard my thoughts, they would think, that guy is really weird. I mean, there, there's a lot of thoughts, right? And it doesn't feel very peaceful. Um, some think that, that peace is the moment in a conflict when everybody else is reloading, right? So in our world right now, with all the slurs that go on back and forth, it feels like the moment when people are rethinking, thinking about their next slur toward one another and there's nobody talking. Or in some parts of the world, they think peace is that moment when everybody is reloading their guns. But the reality of that piece is that in reality, we're just getting ready for the next fight, right? Some think that peace comes if we achieve a certain status or a certain place in life. So, you know, we have enough money in our bank account. We get the house we've always wanted. The bills are all paid. Then we're going to have peace. But we all know, don't we, that inevitably it feels like there's something new that comes up that makes that peace leave us. If you're a parent of small kids at home, or if you've had a long week at work, you might just want some peace and quiet, right? Can't we all just get along here, right? Let's quiet it down. But we all know that that moment of peace and quiet, maybe it's a weekend away, maybe it's a time where our kids are off to the babysitter, it's just simply preparing us for the next set and next round of unpeaceful challenges. The far-off fantasy land of peace seems like a distant paradise that we could never attain and it's hard to define. Our challenge with peace in reality though is in thus finding peace that comes to us is because we, we really never get to the root issue of why we're not at peace. 
It's one of the issues of our world. Our world loves to put, you know, cover over the symptom and make us think the symptom's been dealt with, but we never get to the root. We never get to the bottom root of the issue. And we never find, if we never find the root, therefore we never find a lasting solution. Anxieties still consume us. Worries still grab us and conflict still seems to win the day. But what if, what if I told you that there's a way to have lasting peace? And what if I told you that lasting peace is not found in a state of mind? It's not a pause in a conflict for a moment. It's not just when your kids go off to the babysitter. What if I told you that peace is actually found in a person? It's found in one who's come for you. Lord willing, this morning, we're going to see that peace is found in Jesus. And here's what I really hope for this morning, and I hope this for you, I hope it for myself. Um, It's a sermon that I think we all need. My hope is, as you leave today, you're going to go to lunch, you're going to hang out with some friends, maybe you're going to go do stuff with your family. You're going to probably, sometime tonight, sit down, maybe watch something on the TV in a movie, or hang out with your kids, read a book to them. And it's going to be time for bed. And when you get ready to go to bed tonight that you will be able to lay your head peacefully in the arms of God because you know you're at peace with God and you're at peace with other people. That's what my hope is of the impact of this sermon this morning. That you would be able to lay your head peacefully on the pillow knowing that God cares for you. That he's made a way for you to be at peace with him and he's given you power to be at peace with others. So let's stand together. We're going to read two verses out of Isaiah chapter 9. Very famous verses. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are people that live in a world that is so chaotic and we have trouble and turmoil that are in our own hearts, in our families, in our relationships, and in our world. And the idea of peace is such a far off idea that we really need your power to reveal to us the only remedy for our anxieties, which is Jesus. So this morning, I pray that you would set Jesus on high and that you would make us know that he is indeed our peace and the only answer and the only hope that this world has for peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if you were if you knew with us this morning, you probably came in. Hopefully, you got a bulletin. I heard we ran out of bulletins, so if we if you didn't get a bulletin, uh, there, there'll be an outline that'll come up on the screen for you. If you did get a bulletin, it's on the back side of your bulletin. 
And we're going to walk through the points that are there. So let's start this morning with that first point, which is the need for peace. You know, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we looked at the hope of Genesis 3.15, of this champion coming. And we traced the hope throughout the Old Testament and found that Jesus Christ is indeed the Genesis 3.15 champion. But we also pointed out that that promise of Genesis 3.15 was given to us in the darkest chapter in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, you'll notice that we read that Eve was deceived by Satan. She ate the forbidden fruit, gave it to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate as well. Now in this moment, when Adam, our father, ate this fruit, something happened that had never happened to the human race ever before. Humans rebelled against God and trusted in their own rules rather than in God's rules. In this moment, we as humans decided our way is the right way, our way is the best way, our way will bring us joy and happiness and satisfaction and peace rather than God's way. And mankind was introduced to something really odd. Now for us, it seems a little weird to think about this, but in this time frame, this was really odd. They were introduced to conflict with God. Prior to this moment in Genesis 3, man walked with God in the Garden of Eden peacefully. A pretty cool thing to think about, right? I mean, to get up in the morning knowing that when you get up, you're going to walk with God and there's going to be no separation between you and God is eternally happy with you. There was no separation in that relationship prior to this moment. But yet after this sin, there's a breach in the relationship. There's a conflict. And it's right here in the third chapter of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we see the primary reason or the root issue of why we need peace. The main reason we have no peace in this world or in our hearts is because we're in conflict with God and we know it. Right off the bat. The very first book of the Bible, we're introduced to the biggest issue we face and the biggest conflict we face, and that conflict is with God. We have sinned against God and we know it. And as challenging as this may be to understand, because Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden and we sinned with Adam, we are by nature enemies of God. The moment we're conceived, we're conceived in sin in conflict with God. And we know this to be true when our minds can begin to think through this. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the result of this conflict with God. And you're going to notice something. The the primary root cause of our conflicts, you're going to see is conflict with God, but it leads to, as we're going to see, conflict within. Notice verse 8 in Genesis chapter 3. It says that Adam and Eve hid themselves from God And they did this because of their sin sin and their shame. See, before Adam and Eve ever sinned, they never experienced these feelings. You You and I live every day with guilt and shame. Adam and Eve never experienced this before this moment. And when they sinned, notice, they immediately knew what they had done. Their guilt and shame spoke loudly to them. Now, some might say, well, was it was it verbal? And the answer would be no, it was louder. They did everything they could to cover up their sin and tried to hide from God. Conflict with God led to conflict within. 
<clears throat> but conflict with God and conflict within aren't the only conflicts we see in the very early stages of Genesis chapter of Genesis. Everything okay with my mic? That just sounded weird, right? You guys okay back there? You got it? Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, that freaked me out. Like you know. Woo. Okay. So conflict with God and conflict within aren't the only conflicts we see in the early part of Genesis. Just when you flip your Bible to Genesis chapter four, you'll notice we're immediately introduced to Adam and Eve's family. In that dark chapter, Cain, the oldest son, disobeys God and in his jealousy and his anger rises up and kills his younger brother, Abel. We're introduced to family conflict. And what's fascinating is you have conflict with God, conflict within, you have family conflict. And what's interesting is if you trace the Bible and you followed heroic families throughout the Bible, guess what you're going to find in those families? Conflict. Abraham's family had conflict. King David's family had conflict. Every family that you notice throughout the scripture has some sort of conflict. Family and relational chaos are in the world because of our sin against God. Now in the passage that we read this morning in Isaiah 9, we're introduced to another conflict. We're introduced to international conflict. Nation against nation conflict. See, the writer, the prophet Isaiah served the nation of Israel from 740 to 700 BC during very turbulent times. The people were hard-hearted, stubborn, and deaf to the word of God. Sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? And because of their sin, the Lord brought wars with Assyria and later with Babylon to destroy their heritage, their nation, their capital city, along with their most famous religious site, the Holy Temple. In chapters 7 and 8, you would read of Isaiah warning Israel of the coming invasion of the Assyrian army. It's almost as if he, like Gandalf in the war in the Lord of the Rings, saw the war coming way before the war ever started. And it's in the midst of this darkness that chapter 9 is written. Assyria is on the doorstep. Destruction is coming to the nation of Israel. Fear is filling the city and the enemy is preparing for war. Conflict is on the horizon. And it's to that people, that nation, in that moment of conflict, that moment of waiting for Assyria to just come and dominate them, that we read verse 6. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. See, the reason the nation of Israel was in the mess they were in was because of their sin against God. Their conflict with Assyria and later with Babylon was because of the primary conflict they had in their sin against God. And the answer, the answer that Isaiah gives them is the exact same answer that God gave us in Genesis chapter 3 in the middle of a dark chapter. A champion is coming and in Isaiah 9, a son is coming. Now, just so we're clear on what we're dealing with here, Israel's conflict with God, their rebellion against God is what brought their conflict with Assyria and Babylon. Make sure you're really clear on this. The primary reason for our conflicts and the lack of peace in our own lives is because we are in conflict with God. And that conflict is the foundation for all other conflicts in your life and all other conflicts you see around this particular world. See, our need for peace is not because our kids are loud and sometimes disruptive. Our need for peace is not because our job is too challenging 
nor because we're not being recognized enough. Our need for peace is not because our favorite sports team is lousy or because our house is a mess and neighbors are coming. Our conflicts are not because we need people to vote a certain way or because we need a bigger or smaller government or because of the colors of our skin or the different ethnicities that we are from. No, our need for peace is because we are in conflict with God. Our conflict with God is the reason for family fights, for national wars, and for internal conflict. Every conflict in the history of the universe comes from a primary root cause. We are in conflict with God. Our need for peace is because we're in conflict with God. Now, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3 last week, we see the same thing in Isaiah chapter 9. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of conflict, the solution, the answer that God gives is a person. Look with me now at the second point, which is the Prince of Peace. Now Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 is perhaps the most famous prophecy in the Bible regarding the Messiah coming. It's, it, it's certainly most of the, it's the most famous verses read during Christmas time in our neck of the woods. You, last last uh, winter, Christmas season as well, I preached on Isaiah 9, 9, 6, and 7. We preach on this regularly during this time of the year. It is the most famous one taught. The people of Israel believed this son would come, but as we saw last week, they were really myopic about it. They saw it was coming. he was coming for them. Now notice something in the text. It's really fascinating. As, as oppressive as Assyria would be, notice all the attributes of this son's coming reign. He'd be called the wonderful counselor, meaning, meaning his, his government is a wise government. The word wonderful here means that his counsel is supernaturally wise, so that it, and so is his government that rests upon his shoulders. It's going to be a strong and powerful government because he is the mighty God. This is not, a, not just a human child, but he is the mighty God, and his government is strong enough and powerful enough to care for his people. He is the everlasting father who rules as a compassionate father over the government that he has that lasts forever. Like a father who cares for his children, so this coming son will care for those under his care and his rule forever. And verse 7 tells us that, his, that it is an expansive and unlimited government. There's no end to his rule. Justice and righteousness will hold sway. There are no pockets of rebellion when all is said and done. In other words, this is no ordinary child and no ordinary kingdom. This child is the God-man. He is divinely endowed with supernatural authority, power, and wisdom. But for our study this morning, I want to dial in just on that little phrase, the Prince of Peace. You're going to notice when you see this in the descriptors, it's the only title of royalty or kingship or indicating rulership. And notice with me verse 7 that it says of his government and of peace there will be no end the title of royalty implies that in the domain of the child's kingdom there will be peace this means that his people will be at peace with one another they'll be at peace in friendships and families that nations will be at peace with one another 
Further, in the conflict motif that we've talked about from the beginning of the Bible, we're in conflict with God all throughout the Bible. Beginning in Genesis 3, this also implies peace with God. Where his kingdom goes, peace follows. As his kingdom advances, peace comes along. This peace-filled kingdom is ruled by the Prince of Peace, and it will never end. Where his kingdom rules and reigns, lasting peace reigns as well. In describing this, Matthew Henry wrote it like this. He, speaking of Jesus, is the Prince of Peace. As a king, he preserves the peace, commands peace. Nay, he creates peace in his kingdom. He is our peace, and it is his peace that both keeps the hearts of his people and rules in them. He is not only a peaceable prince and his reign peaceable, but he is the author and giver of all good. All that peace, which is the, is, is the present and future bliss of his subjects. That is that it shall be a peaceable government, agreeable to his character as the prince of peace. He shall rule by love, shall rule in men's hearts, so that wherever his government is, there shall be peace. And as his government increases, the peace shall increase. There shall be no, in, no end of the increase of his government. It shall, sti- be, shall be still growing. No end of the increase of the peace of it. For the happiness of the subjects of this kingdom shall last to eternity and perhaps shall be progressive in infinitum forever. You can say amen to that. The prince of peace rules over an eternal kingdom of peace. And his peaceful kingdom will know no end and it will increase. But I want to show you something in verse 7 that should absolutely settle your hearts before God. Notice who accomplishes this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. See, we could say verses 6 and 7 are a pipe dream unless we had this phrase. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will make sure this will happen. Listen, God, God, God is the one who gives this child. This son is given to us by God. God is the one who will make sure that this son's reign and rule will never stop bringing the peace that he promised. See, what I want to draw your attention to is the, in the promise of the Prince of Peace is that this is the Lord's doing and the Lord will accomplish it. I want you to see that very clearly. This is not the U.S. government's zeal. This is way bigger than that. This is the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this work. Here's what this means. This means your God, your God, the God of the universe, your God knows that you need peace. And your God will make a way for it. He will not only give you peace, He will give you peace in the person of his dear son to be the king who rules and reigns over your heart of turbulence to give you peace. And it means this, your God's zeal, his burning passion for his glory and for his people will make sure you have everything you need to have peace. This is remarkable news. Knowing that we're at conflict with God, we have conflict within, there's conflict in our families, knowing there's conflict all around the world, God, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will give us, his people, a prince of peace. What good news is that? 
Now let's finish by looking at this Savior, this one who's come, this Prince of Peace, even further by looking at Jesus, who is our peace. See, we're still left, even though we know this, we're left with some questions. How does this child who was born, prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, how does he deal with our primary conflict? How does he deal with our conflict with God? And the second question, and you probably ask this often, I do, if we believe in Jesus and we believe he's come, why in our world is there always conflict? And even better yet, why in my heart is there always worry? Why is there turbulence and fear that seems to go off in my heart, even though I believe Jesus is king? Why? So how, let's take the first question first. How does Jesus, this child, deal with our greatest conflict? How does Jesus deal with our conflict with God? We know from history, and if you want to know more of this, you can go back to my sermon last year on this text, where I went through every prophecy of Isaiah 9 and proved how Jesus fulfilled all of that. For our time today, we know from history that Jesus is this child. He is the Genesis 3 champion to come. He is the Isaiah 9 son who has been given to us. How does he bring peace with God? Well, unlike the first Adam, our <clears throat> Adam, our first father, Jesus obeyed God as a man. As the last Adam, he's the final Adam. He's the final representative before God, and he faithfully obeyed God on our behalf because we didn't, we won't, and we can't. And he died on a cruel cross to suffer the death that we deserved. Our sin brought death to us. The wages of our sin is death. And Jesus Christ took our death on the cross and died in our place. And when he rose again from the dead... It is a moment when God counted everything he did in his life and his death as successful and righteous. And God approved of all that he did. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on our behalf... We're made right with God. We're brought to peace with God. We're no longer enemies of God. We're children of God, brought to his table. As we saw earlier, we are in the Old Testament conflict motif. We are constantly in conflict with God, which brings terrible results everywhere. But in Christ, as a believer in Christ, we're made right with God, and we're no longer at war with God. We are at peace with God. We're, we have a seat at the family table. So listen, this, this means something amazing. If you're a child of God, if you're a believer in Christ, listen, you do not have to worry anymore if you're at peace with God because of Jesus. It is finished. Christ is your peace before God. Christ delivered you from the domain of conflict and brought you into his kingdom a peace. God has supplied for your greatest need. He's given you a champion. God has made a way for your greatest conflict to be healed. Jesus is your peace with God. But this also means if you're not a believer in Jesus, and you don't call yourself a Christian, that you're still at war with God. And you know it. You feel it when you're left alone all by yourself to your own thoughts. 
You're reminded of it when you lay your head down on your pillow at night. Your conscience eats at you day and night. And just like Adam and Eve before you, there's no hiding from it. When God went calling out their name, it wasn't because he didn't know where they were. God knows exactly where you are. And the story of Jesus, the story of Isaiah 9, tells us that there's something powerful. You don't have to stay at war with God. You can turn your life to Christ right now, today, and be no longer at war with God. You can become a child of God by believing that Jesus Christ lived in your place, died in your place, and rose again in your place. And we would plead with you, if that's you, listen, if that's you, turn to Christ. There's no more... No greater conflict in your life that needs to be resolved than that issue. Turn to Christ because only Jesus can be our peace before God. And only Jesus is our peace before God. So that's the first question. That's how Jesus is this child that solves the first conflict. But the second question has two parts to it. If we believe in Jesus and he's come, why is our world always in conflict? And... Secondly, why do our hearts always seem to be worried, fearful, or turbulent? I get asked these questions all the time. I mean, if if God is good, why is there evil in the world? If Jesus has promised peace in this world, why is there so little? If, If the great Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sings, declares peace on earth and mercy mild, why is there no, doesn't seem to be any such thing? And my response is this. Listen carefully. Where the kingdom of Christ rules and reigns, there is always peace. Where it doesn't reign and rule, you won't find peace. You'll always find conflict. Where Christ and his gospel reign and rule, there is always peace. Where it does not, there is conflict. See, when there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, the greatest conflict is resolved, there is the ability and the power to be reconciled to one another. We know this from the Bible. We know this from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, where Paul speaks of two warring tribes, Jews and Gentiles, being in conflict, yet being reconciled under Jesus. Two warring nations becoming one new family. We know this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul told us that we as Christians have been given a ministry of reconciliation, meaning we are helping people be at peace with God through the gospel, through Jesus, and helping them be at peace with one another through the power of Christ. And we know this in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus declares that his people are called peacemakers. And then in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, he tells us how we can be at peace with one another, which you will learn more about in the month of January as we study how to be at peace in our relationships. See, this tells us something. It tells us the answer to our conflict in this world is for everybody to come under the rule and reign of Jesus. See, it's not, it's not simply in finding common ground in our politics. It's not giving preference to one race over another race. It's not doing the same, giving preference to one gender over another gender. Peace with one another is made possible through each of us being at peace with God through Jesus. 
See, here's the point. Where Christ's kingdom rules and reigns in the hearts of people, there is peace. See, Christians, listen clearly. Conflicts in your world should not make you mad. You know what they should make you do? Realize there's a lot more work to be done. A lot more gospel work to be done. If you think this is impossible, just go ask my friend Pastor Oscar in Mindanao, Philippines, a former headhunter at war with Muslim tribes receiving the gospel of Christ, taking it into his village and his tribe and sharing the gospel with that entire village and forming a church. And Pastor Oscar then taking that gospel to the warring Muslim tribe to see them come to Christ and form two churches that are now unified under the banner of Christ. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will surely do it. And the answer to the second part of the question, why as Christians, why do we give way to worry, fear, and our hearts feel troubled is the exact same answer. Where Christ rules, peace follows. Where we rule, conflict follows. You, you know this is true in your own life. You know it's true in your family. You know it's true as you look around in your own heart. When Christ is ruling, peace follows. One of the verses that we use regularly while raising our children is James chapter 4. If this is not in your parenting plan, it needs to get there. James 4 spells it out clearly. Fights happen between us and in us because of our selfish and sinful desires. We want something and we're not getting it, so we fight. When we're little, it's our Legos and our toys. When we're older, it's our job promotions and our salaries. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this? Our hearts are set on our own kingdom rather than being ruled by the kingdom of the Prince of Peace. Listen, where Christ's kingdom rules and reigns in our hearts, peace goes with it. It makes me wonder when Jesus was giving instruction on worry in Matthew 6, when he gets to the end of that, he tells us the answer for it, that instead of worrying about tomorrow... He tells us we should seek first, what? The kingdom of God. What is he getting at here? He's saying long for, submit to, be ruled by the kingdom of Christ, which is the kingdom of peace. Peace reigns as long as, and and as, as we long for and submit to the reign and rule of Christ. Listen, Christian, you've got to, Catch this really clearly. There is beauty and power of being a child of God. You, you have been forgiven eternally. Past, present, future. You're eternally loved by God. You're accepted by God. You're more forgiven than you could ever imagine and more loved than you could ever dream. And because of Christ, God will meet every need in your life and will provide for needs now and all the needs you have later. And because of Christ, eternity for you will be filled with eternal peace with God and eternal peace with one another as we marvel at our great king. In other words, you have no reason to not yield yourself to and dwell in and marvel at the kingdom of peace led by the king of peace. So as we close, just think through a few questions about this with me. 
Are you wrestling with worry and fear and anxiety? Here's the question. Could it possibly be because that portion of your life or that thing in your life is not surrendered to the goodness of your king? There's a reason why Peter wrote, cast all your anxieties upon him, your king, because he cares for you. Maybe this morning it's time to just take those anxieties, those fears, and cast them to him. He cares for you. Is there a relational conflict you're dealing with in your life? Well, here's a question. Have you, looking to Christ, in faith to Christ, believing Christ as your king, attempted to be at peace with, the, uh, with others around you? Have, you? have you done what Romans would say? If it possible with you, be at peace with all men. And have you done it this way? Have you done it by humbly sharing your concerns with the person you have a conflict with? Or by have you humbly confessing your own sin and contribution to the conflict and seek their forgiveness? See, what we like to do with conflict management is ignore it, believe it's going to go away. Time will heal all wounds is not in the Bible. Just thought you should know, right? <clears throat> and we say things like, the plan that God gave us will never work. We were, we were not told to make it work. We were told to do the plan and trust God to do his work. That's why Paul would say, if it possible with you, be at peace. He didn't say it's always going to happen. So have you, in that relational conflict, have you looking to Christ done what he asked you to do? And another question, I'm sure this one's going to be yes. Are you bothered by all the conflict in the world? I get so sick of it, I can't read the news. I hate listening to anything but sports radio because sports radio talks about mind-numbing stuff. I can't watch Fox. I can't do all the other stuff. It drives me absolute out of it's conflict everywhere. I get sick of hearing it. You know what it shows us? It shows us that there is need for more disciples to be made. It shows us that the gospel needs to go out. So here's the question. Are you, are you sharing your faith with others? Are you sharing about the only hope for eternal life and the only hope for peace with God? See, don't let the chaos in the world drive you crazy. Let it drive you to make disciples. Big difference. Let's be declarers of the good news of peace during this Christmas season. What a great opportunity. You're going to have family gatherings. We all know those things can get really weird. They get weird because you're in it. You're weird and you walk in the door, right? The moment you walk in the door, things can get crazy. The weird uncle has just entered the room when I walk in. I'm the weird uncle, right? We all know that about ourselves. What's that a moment for? It's a moment to display and demonstrate the hope of the gospel the wonder of Christ, who's come for us. Listen, Christian, your Savior has come, and he rules over all things. So listen, so, so today, go to lunch. Hang out with family. Do whatever you're going to do tonight with your family. All the stuff you're going to do. But to quote my historical hero, Charles Spurgeon, tonight, when you lay your head down, here's what you can do. You can lay your head down on the pillow of God's good sovereignty over your life without any worry or conflict because Jesus has come to bring you peace with God and give you power to be at peace with others. Let's pray.
And as we're praying right now, I just want you to do business with God where you're at. I know that there, there's probably many of you in the room, like myself, that bring in worries and fears. And it just reveals to me areas of my heart that are not surrendered to Christ. <clears throat> and this morning, would you just cast those anxieties and fears upon him? He cares for you. Maybe you're here and you're listening, you're watching online, you're, you're, you're listening here and you've realized you don't know Jesus. You realize you're in conflict with God and you've, heard, you've suddenly realized Jesus is your answer. This morning, turn to Christ. Maybe you've spent the last two years just being angry at all the conflict, all the chaos, instead of realizing that that is a call that more disciples need to be made. And your anger has kept you from representing Christ. Then take a moment to repent and ask God to help you change. Father, we, we need your work. We, we live in a world that's chaotic. It's Genesis 3 in conflict. There is wars and rumors of wars. There is family dynamics that are painful. There's internal stuff that we deal with. And we need your power to work within us. So I pray for us. I pray for my friends. I pray for me. Father, would you, we just lay our anxieties. We cast them to you. Our wayward child, our, our meager bank account, our bad health diagnosis, our job situation, uh, a friend that has suddenly become an enemy. We, we lay those before you. We cast them upon you, God. You care for us. You said that you, you would meet us. And then, Father, we, we as well just acknowledge how the chaos in this world is confusing. Help us to be better representatives of Christ in this world of chaos by submitting our hearts regularly to the Prince of Peace. Fill us with the spirit of peace. Control us. Control what we put online. Control how we speak to our friends. Control how we, how we talk to those that we disagree with. May our speech be seasoned with grace for the glory of Christ. And then, Father, for those friends that are here today that don't know you, would you capture them under the grace of God who wants to bring them peace with God? Turn their hearts to Christ that they might repent and believe that Jesus is indeed their King. Jesus, thank you that the Bible says that you said, peace I give unto you. 
Thank you that the angels declared glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill to men when you came. Let us lay our heads on our pillows tonight at peace with you and at peace with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.